0: Wonderful day, full of knowledge. Project A podcast. I unfortunately won't be speaking about climate change, uh, even though this was very uh, inspiring what we heard now. Uh, But yeah, first talk of the day. Thank you very much for being here. Good morning, everyone, and let's dive in. So, first off, a little bit about myself. Uh, As Tamar said, my name is Fatos Hoti. I'm from a very small town in Croatia called Pula, around 50,000 people beautiful place and for the last four years or so I've been living well right here but a little bit to the West Uh, and for the last year year and a half I've been working as an engineering manager at Clara and I'll be talking to the to you today about end-to-end testing at scale so I introduced myself it's gonna take a while if I like ask the same questions to all of you so if I can see with a show of hands, how many software engineers are here? How many QAs? And how many project managers, designers? I'm interested how many are gonna stay. And how many people here know what end-to-end testing is? Cool, that's perfect, 50-50. So, we know each other now, uh, so we can start talking about what's Clara. So there are a couple of ways to answer this question actually. And the first one would actually be this. So it's a bunch of boxes, a bunch of servers talking to each other to actually solve a business goal, to solve a business issue. And just let me. And as you can see here, the highlighted parts, this is all that we maintain at Clara. So you can map it more or less one to one to a GitHub repository. So even though it looks quite a lot and we're a small team, we are able to manage all of that. Another way to answer the question what Clara is, is that we were a product of the year on this conference last year. So if you were here last year, you might remember that. But in a nutshell, Clara is a secure messaging and workflow tool intended for patients and healthcare employees. So what that means that we are actually tackling the problem of healthcare communication on a daily basis. So with higher adoption among our clients, the quality standards have really grown. Our clients started relying on our product for their day-to-day tasks. And even though we are not solving the communication in cases of life and death, uh, one's one's need to actually talk to their doctor should never be underestimated. And every message is an important message at Clara, and we actually cannot afford to uh, lose any messages that our clients are sending to each other. With the growth of the company, there's a need to move fast and iterate fast on the product itself. There's a need to be agile. There's a need to deliver constantly. So how do we move without breaking fast? So, of course, we test our product. So we write tests. And some of you might have, known, might have seen this online and it's called some, uh, testing pyramid. And the observant among you will notice two things immediately. So first of all, this is clearly a triangle, not a pyramid. And the second of all, the part in the middle is usually at the top. So people usually don't give that much attention to -to end-to-end tests. In our code base, we found a way for both integration tests and unit tests. But end-to-end tests are gaining more and more power, and we are relying on them more and more every day. And when when I'm here to talk about end-to-end tests, I'm here to talk mostly about how they influence this part of our system. So even though we manage all of the above that I mentioned here, the part that is highlighted here, these two systems are the heavy lifters at Clara. So core is our core API. It's a Ruby and Rails application. And web clients is our single page application written in React uh, with which our uh, users are actually accessing uh, those APIs. So our first go at end-to-end testing was somewhere in early 2017, and it was a library called Nightwatch.js. And it kind of worked for us for about a test suite to a size of a 30, 35 tests, but then it started being flaky. We started noticing around 40, 45 tests that like same runs, like repeated runs produced completely different results. And our conclusion was it's either not a very good tool or we didn't know how to use it. So I'm not here to bash on other people's work. Let's just say that it didn't work for us and that we had to find something else. So somewhere around October 2017 to present, we introduced Cypress.io into our code base. So Cypress came with a couple of value propositions and a couple of promises. And most of them can be summarized in three very important facts. It's a nice way to visualize your tests. It offers a fast feedback loop while developing. And it offers an understandable API that makes writing tests, well, fun, more fun, easy, easier, depending on the person you ask. So how many people here have heard about Cypress? How many people use it? Okay, so for people that haven't seen it, or people that are not using it often, I'm just going to have the shortest possible Cypress demo. So, Before I came here, I executed these two NPM commands. So I installed a React app and I installed the Cypress package. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do NPM start. I could have done this earlier. And I'm going to run Cypress. So as you can see here in the upper left corner, uh, a Cypress console has opened. And here we have only one test currently. I'm going to just open here. And here on the left side, you can see the actual test file. So it's a very, very simple assertion. And I'm going to run it now. So as you can see, we have a test run here that passed. Uh, And one good thing is that it offers a really fast feedback loop, as I mentioned. So I'm going to change this test. So I'm not going to talk about how we write tests that much. I I just want to present to people seeing it for the first time that it actually delivers on the promise of the fast feedback loop. Because I changed the test now, it re-ran itself, it failed because it couldn't uh, find a paragraph with uh, edit question, uh, uh, with this uh, string inside it. If I again remove this test, remove this code, the test will rerun and pass. What it offers me again is the ability to some sort of, in a way, time travel debug um, our end-to-end test. So I'm actually able to click on this part here and make, uh, see a snapshot of the DOM at the point of running a test. So let's see a little bit the test itself. So CI is the like official namespace that you use uh, when installing Cypress. As you can see, it's a pretty understandable API. So it gets a paragraph that should contain some text the same way with the A tag. And that's about it. So cool. That, that's about Cypress. So for us, it was enough to actually see that part to actually get sold to actually uh start trying and implementing this into our code base but i came here with a promise to tell you like what do we do to actually make a test suite scalable and better yet what do we do wrong to make a test suite scalable or even better what do we do wrong and then fix to make a test suite scalable so in the last two years they started using this product We've identified around five different uh, spot, uh, five different items that help us achieve this. So we set it up as a part of our CI pipeline. We hired a QA. We utilized commands. We are running against a real backend, and we are at least trying now to follow best practices. So, step number one: set it up as a part of your of CI pipeline. Scaling doesn't work without this step. So running a set of uh, end-to-end tests on your local machine and then confirming in whichever way you want that this actually works does work if you want to scale. So if you want to have a scalable test suite, start with this immediately. So our first go, we didn't have any parallel execution. And to be honest, we started, as I said, October 2017. I don't think that was even a feature of Cypress at that point. But our biggest, bigger issue was that we had a pretty long setup time. So our runs were somewhere around six minutes and our setup time was around a minute and a half uh, at a certain point. So as you can see, 25% of time actually spent running the test went into setup. And to be honest, it was more pain than gain in the first three months. So we approached the whole subject of end to end tests with something that will increase our product quality and will decrease the number of bugs and will make our lives and jobs easier. In the first three months, that actually wasn't the case. It was painful to figure things out, especially in the beginning. And about a year in, we were able to, no, about six months in, we were able to run 50 tests in about five minutes. And then that kind of grew to 110 tests in 10 minutes. As you can see, if we continue down this way, we wouldn't be able to scale in no other way than linearly. And when you're scaling linearly, you're actually not scaling. And I know I was actually expecting maybe to have a bigger screen on this one, I apologize, but these slides will be uh, published online, so take a look at these runs uh, by yourself. But this is one of the runs uh, that was including around 60 tests at that point. And as you can see here, or cannot see, um, it, it takes around six and a half minutes to, to run the whole uh, run on CI. And this step here, which was reset database, which was kind of our setup uh, to the whole thing, lasted around one minute and 20 seconds. So testing the product functions, the actual Cypress run took around three minutes out of those. So 50% of time was spent setting up the whole thing and 50% of time was spent actually uh, running the thing. So in our second (laughs) go, we embraced parallel execution. We are currently running on seven different workers at the same time. Uh, We reduced our setup time from uh, from a bit over a minute to a couple of seconds. And in today's codebase, actually took a look from yesterday's run there's 439 tests and they ran in about eight and a half minutes so as you can see by adding only what 60% of the original time we were able to actually increase the number of tests that we have in our code base about what ninefold eightfold and those same runs today look something like this and this is even more hard to see so I apologize for that but you'll have to trust me on this one that this is the same step that was before Uh, That took around a minute and a half today takes four seconds So we were able actually able to shave a minute and a half of our time that we were spending on setting up our tests And we actually got that time to invest in actually running the test So what did we learn? First and foremost you have to keep your feedback loop on a tolerant level so when we saw that the number of tests in our code base is growing and then when we reached around 120 130 tests at the worst period it took sometimes 15 minutes to run this. And we saw that developers started actually being afraid of writing new end-to-end tests, because they were afraid that after a 15-minute run, their test, that they wrote one test in the codebase, is going to break, and they had to fix it. They they had to do it all over again, wait another 15 minutes. So it actually makes sense. Keep it on a tolerant level. We saw that anything that crosses around eight to nine minutes starts becoming a problem. So keep it around there. You're going to have situations where test passes locally but doesn't on CI. So this is a very common case that happens. Even though your local environment might be the same and to the one that you have on your CI, runs sometimes differ. Trust the CI runs. They need to work. They're part of your pipeline. So local runs don't count. So it has to pass on CI. Be very strict about it. So yeah. Cypress works like a charming 99.5% of cases. So this was this is our experience more or less. So in, in 99.5% everything works correctly. But from time to time there's like a flaky test or there's a problem with the network request and it fails or something like that. So this kind of things will happen. Right? But be sure that they're caused by exactly that, an anomaly and then a problem in your code base. Use artifacts. So, Cypress and CircleCI together offer a really nice way to actually record videos of your end-to-end tests and to upload them uh, to a CI platform and to actually inspect them. I'll show that later. And use dot only for local development. So when you're developing locally a single test, don't run your whole test suite. There's a pretty nice command that says dot only, and it will run only that test. And if you install this uh, ESLint plugins, this will actually stop you from committing that dot only in your code base. And only running the test once. So the scale factor that we were able to achieve with this was actually time to run tests. So as I showed you before, we are able to run ninefold time tests with adding only 60% of time. And this is where we actually had the value of improving constantly and adding more tests to, to our code base. So second thing is hire a QA engineer. And even though this sounds obvious. I wrote here this is not a joke so I understand that some companies don't have the budget to hire a QA I don't know quit and I don't know what to tell like we're hiring we have a QA so you can come and work with us uh, yeah in our first go software engineers were writing tests and even though that was kind of okay and it worked uh, somehow tests were always flaky and if I had to pinpoint the problem for it, it's perception based tests. So, when you're writing a unit test as a software developer and you give the same functionality and you tell to three different developers to write a unit test, that unit test will more or less look the same after the code has been written. But ask the same three people, how do you deterministically say when this page has loaded? You will get probably three different answers. So what we got was that Different software engineers, based upon their perception, were writing assertions for, uh, uh, for certain end-to-end tests, and they were completely different from each other. It was still time-consuming. So I cannot tell you how many times we had an estimation session, and we estimated a front-end task, and then somebody would raise their hand and say, yeah, but we need to write functional tests for it. And then the estimate increased, and then the estimate itself doubled. So. It, we had numerous situations like that. And that was because this was still an experiment phase. We didn't know what we were doing, actually. Like, we were experimenting all around. We were trying out things. We didn't know that this is gonna stick. Like, our first try in early 2017 failed miserably. Like, we didn't want to commit to anything. And about one, after one year of usage, we had about 130 tests. And this is how our folder about a year ago looked like. Uh, We had about 15 files, and this is like covering our whole doctor side of the app with around 80 tests And those same tests look something like this and on this one I'm actually allowed to bash because I wrote this code So I'm actually allowed to say all the bad things around it And even though that like the API that Cypress offers is an understandable one this test looks a little bit messy This is a test for something that's completely irrelevant in our code base. It has, like, it's very far from being a critical path. In our second goal, we have software engineers and QA engineers writing tests in harmony. So, just the fact that we hired a QA doesn't mean that software engineers are no longer writing tests. It means that both of them are writing. It means that uh, QA engineers are part of code reviews. And they're actually sending back pull, uh, pull, uh, pull requests that don't have properly written tests. So a QA is there to actually be the last line of defense. And everything ends up in the code base at the end. He's the one who's going to go through edge cases and then add coverage to it. When you have a dedicated person that's actually taking care of your end-to-end test suit, you will definitely have better structure of test files, better utilities, better naming uh, conventions. You have a dedicated person taking care of that, and it's their job. It's not one of the jobs that they are doing. And as I mentioned, we improved our coverage drastically, especially on the edge cases part. And this is where we reached, actually, the adoption part of, uh, of our end-to-end uh, test suite. And as I said, we have around 435 tests after two years of usage. So, and that same folder that I showed you before, today looks something like this. So it doesn't matter what the contents of these files are. But at least there are more of them. Like, we had to split some into folders because there's too many actual use cases to be written in a single file. And it gets messy. And those same tests today look like this. And this is far more readable. This is far more writable. This is replicable. What did we learn? Software engineers can write decent tests, but QA engineers do it better. It's just a fact. Uh, I, as I said, like, you have a dedicated person thinking about this constantly. They're going to do a better job at it. So hiring a what the fuck? Three. Ah. A shaky. okay, sorry. Yeah. So hiring a QA to build an end-to-end uh, suite is not him herself shooting him herself in the foot. What I mean by this is. Don't hire a QA to build your automation suite and then expect that you're gonna be able to fire him and this is gonna maintain itself like the developers are gonna write this test. It doesn't work that way. Hire a person to build your automation suite, maintain it, grow it, and make it better. And then spread the word inside your team, and spread the culture inside your team. Always try to include a test case when fixing a bug. So yeah, when you reach that point when you actually deliver the bug to production and then it gets back to you, Try to include the end-to-end uh, test for it. Like cover that case. And don't compromise on flakiness. Our, our experience was that if a, test is, uh, if a test is flaky, it usually boils down to one of two problems. It's either a problem in the codebase or it's a problem in the test. Like we never saw a problem that strange and that big from the actual platform like Cypress or CircleCI themselves. It was in 99.5% cases. It was a problem in the code that we wrote. So we were able to test here on test quality. So by hiring a QA, the quality of our tests grew immensely, and the coverage itself improved. So utilize commands. Cypress comes with a ni- decent API that's called commands. You're able to abstract certain parts of your flow and actually uh, improve readability and the whole you, You're able to introduce an abstraction layer. In your test so we started immediately with something uh, and yeah we started with some basic commands like login and uh, submitting a form and stuff like that but as I said the problem the problem perception based tests uh, here actually like came alive even more because we had the same flows like same intros into the flows that have just different endings like error cases and stuff like that they were completely differently written and again, because they were written by different developers at a different time and in a different space. And after about one year of usage, we had 15 commands. And our whole commands folder looks something like this. It's one file that holds 15 commands. And our tests look something like this. So again, I'm allowed to, be, uh, to bash on this one because I wrote it. And as you can see here, there's, this, there's quite a bit wrong. There's a code duplication uh, happening all around. And you wouldn't call it actually clean code. In our second go, we split our commands on a domain level, so now every screen that holds all the end-to-end uh, use cases has a ma- one-to-one mapping uh, to commands for that screen, and like, of course we have a part that's common for all users and stuff like that. And we use commands for almost everything now, so there's almost no parts of our test that are written in actual Cypress code. Like, it's always using our commands. And there's no ambiguity in naming, so we have very strict naming. So if it takes 100 characters to explain it, that probably means that the test is doing too much. But if it takes 100 characters to actually describe what the test is doing, we, we, write, we write a command that's 100 characters. Right? And after two years, we have about 330 commands in our code base. So in about a year we grew like, I don't know, 20 times. And that same folder, just like one file out of of that folder with commands now looks like this. As you can see, there's quite a bit of going on. We had to split it and granularize it uh, in a different way. And that same test today looks like this. So as you can see, there's actually no part of Cypress code in it, except the CI part. So everything is almost written in commands. So what did we learn? You need to start with commands immediately, and you have to be strict about it. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the same problem as we did. And you're going to have, your code base is going to be huge with no apparent reason, and you won't be able to scale the number of your tests. Split your commands and assertions and actions. This is like mostly testing 101, uh, but do it. Uh, It actually allows you far more granularity when you want to cover a lot of different cases. So if you want to cover a breadth of cases, like, be granular about it and split it on assertions and actions. And from time to time, audit the usage of your commands. So we still haven't found like, a proper ESLint plugin that will warn us about this or something like that. So you, you still have to do it manually from time to time. And the most important thing that we figured out is that by usi- utilizing your commands, you're creating a platform to write tests. You're creating your own API to write tests. So this is the actual power of it like you if you if you put your commands in a proper way and you name them properly and you design them properly then anybody can write an end-to-end uh, test it can be a product person it can be a designer it can be a developer QA, anybody if it's human readable there's no reason why anybody could do it and the scale factor that we were able to achieve with this was actually a time to uh, time to write tests like we don't have those situations anymore where people are Actually, doubling uh, the estimates uh, just because uh, there the are functional tests included in the task. We were able to scale much faster. We are able to add tests on a much faster scale today, just because we have our own API that we documented pretty well in, uh, inside our organization, and everybody knows how to use it and can actually uh, add contributions to the end-to-end suite. So. Run against the real backend. So I mentioned, I said this part. I believe that if there are people actually doing this on a scale, uh, a lot of people are actually doing it. But I've seen a couple of times online that people are mentioning stubbing a lot. We noticed that for us, stubbing has, I believe, one use case, and that's it. But I'll talk about it later. So, in our first go, our test end-to-end to end, uh, test suite used to run on every front end merge. So every time we would merge something to front end, you would wait for uh, an end-to-end uh, uh, test suite to run. And then, as I mentioned, um, it started taking 12, 13, 15 minutes. And then it became a pain. Like It became slow. It crippled us. And one other problem that we had that the actual backend changes, like for people that if you remember the f- one of the first diagrams that I showed, backend changes didn't trigger end-to-end tests. So changes on the API were actually breaking let's call them front-end functionalities but they were actually end-to-end functionalities and then the whole system started again being buggy so we again failed on the quality and this is how our CI runs used to look like so as you can see here we have a set of unit tests that we run uh, and then we deploy to production so in a second go the most important thing is that we change the way we deploy Uh, so with doing everything that I mentioned before, with hiring a QA, utilizing commands and everything, we also changed uh, the way how we deploy. Before that, we were a very agile shop that used to write code, write tests. When they pass green, you get two reviews. You check it one more time and ship it to production. That doesn't work that that way anymore. Uh, we introduced one more stop in this, in this whole story, is when developers actually write the test and they get reviewed by the different developers a QA takes over the task He takes over the feature card he merges it into a release candidate environment prepares a release day in advance and the next day morning we release to production we do this about four times a week so it's continuous integration with planned releases more or less like a hybrid of the two it works for us and today those same deployments look something like this So as you can see here, we still have a passing uh, unit test suite. But the integration tests, as we still call them for some reason, uh, are failing. And this actually stopped the deployments to RC. So this is what stopped the pipeline. Until all the end-to-end tests are passing, there's no deployment to production. So what did we learn by this? Scope the need to run your test. For us, it works now that like, every change in every merge to RC actually uh, triggers this whole process that takes around seven, eight minutes. You might be in an organization that's vastly bigger than this. Maybe it won't work for you. So find a strategy to actually isolate maybe the test that you need to run. We're we facing this problem. We're going to face it in three to six months, I see it now. Because we have our front end is starting to speak with a lot of complex backends and changes in those backends. Actually influence the end-to-end functionalities. So we'll need to find a way to actually scope it per service To find which kind of, uh, which uh, set of tests to run and as I promised there is a use case for stubbing And this is for error cases. We found it that it's really useful to actually uh, Write end-to-end suites for I don't know 500 error codes or stuff like that. So server failures and stuff like that And one thing that we were able to actually scale with this was our product quality we don't ship as many bugs as we used to ship on production. Like, we have a much better grasp of what's working, what's not, what's failing, what's not. Uh, our end-to-end uh, test suite actually gives us so much confidence that we almost stopped double guessing, like uh, actually questioning it. So this one. This one is easier said than done. Uh, in our first go in Cyprus, we did, if you go today to Cypress best practice URL and you read through all anti-patterns that they wrote I assure you we did almost all of them we did all of the mistakes so we had non isolated tests. we were using class name as selectors we were logging in via UI you can name it we did it and again I can bash on this one because it's my code and this was our doctor login uh, command so people that have read through best practices of Cypress will clearly see that there's at least Four anti patterns here in five lines of code. But give us a break. Like, this was our first commit in Cypress, So it was 0.10.1, something like that. There were no best practices when we started. Nobody, know, nobody knew what best practices were. In our second goal, uh, the only thing I can say, we are improving bit by bit. Like, it's still not perfect. It's still not great, but we're improving. And that same doctor logging command today looks something like this, which is far more according to best practices. And our selectors today look like this, which is, again, far more according to best practices. So what did we learn? So if you implement it, you own it. And as soon as you own it, it becomes tagged up. So this is quite obvious for, for a code base that handles with business logic, but people seem not to have the same opinion towards tests and especially end-to-end tests. So I dare you to go on Monday to your tech lead, to your engineering manager, to your project manager, and say these words. I believe that we need to spend the next month revamping how we are writing our tests. So let me know what kind of response you got. Because nobody is going to invest a month to refactor the test. They are here to make sure that the important part works, the code works. Nobody's gonna invest a month. So be smart about it. Treat it as a part of your code base and it becomes tech that, so plan around it. So improve on it, iterate. Don't just read about best practices, be annoying about it. Uh, yeah, like we had numerous conversations where hike on a cup of coffee having a break yeah I just read best practices and we are not doing this 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 and this and this according to it and then I said yeah yeah, we're gonna plan it yeah we're gonna fix it Yeah, no problem and we didn't fix it it's still there so it becomes much harder to follow best practices on a brownfield project so if you're starting a greenfield project good for you start with this immediately Follow best practices from the start take some of these advice that I gave here don't take any of them it's completely your choice but it's very I would say it's easier when you're starting on a greenfield project but chances are that you will start as we started you will have a product that's already in production and you want to end, uh, add end-to-end uh, testing functionality to it and at that point like using a class name as a selector doesn't feel that bad because you're actually adding value with with the test itself so you're not gonna invest additional time into actually making like changing your components render the data CI attributes and stuff like that So just keep that in mind like It's harder on a, on a brownfield project So if you're going to introduce it try to follow best practices immediately and gradually work on it and What we've seen that having a design system implementation actually helps so if you have a, like a component library or something like that It actually makes things a lot easier because you have a lot more things under control but then again like if you use a lot of third-party components uh, so like things that are from the open source world it tends to get a little bit harder to actually uh, implement best practices and the scale factor that at this point we are presuming actually uh, that uh, is able uh, we would be able to achieve by implementing best practices is actually time to iterate so If you don't use class names as selectors, you're able to iterate on your styles without actually changing anything. So you're actually able to move faster and change the styling of your app much more easier and maybe like DOM structure and stuff like that if you actually go about it. So I listed only three useful links here. Uh, First is the docs. The second one is a link to CircleCI orbs where you can find the Cypress uh, uh, Docker image to use in in your uh, CI pipeline, and the YouTube channel from Cypress.io. They have a fairly good uh, YouTube channel, a couple of webcasts there uh, where they host different developers, QA engineers, stuff like that. And they talk about real-world problems. So you can hear from other people what their problems actually were when uh, they were implementing something like this. So it's coming to an end, I promise. So how do you sell it? So you want to come, like, this was a great talk you're super enthusiastic you want to go to your tech lead on Monday and you want to actually sell this whole story so how do you do it and this one is a true story and it's a story about the pull request so I'd like to focus on this part so yeah like 20,000 lines of code something like two and a half months of work went into this whole team worked on it and it's it's a back end change. It's, it's for this core API that I was telling, and telling you about. So it's one of those changes where everything changes underneath, but the UI still needs to remain the same for the end user. So you don't have to know a lot about Clara, but this was a project that we had where we were fundamentally changing the way we store patient data. So you don't have to know anything about our product, only that it's healthcare. You can imagine that storing patient data is quite an important thing that we do. And this took around two and a half months, as I said. And we wouldn't be able to actually deliver on this in such a way uh, if we didn't have a proper end-to-end suite. It would be impossible. And what we got from here was actually that we delivered this, and we had zero bugs. Now we had some bugs. It wasn't zero bugs. Uh, But it was zero critical bugs, if nothing else. So after two and a half months of work, we prepared a release. We put it on production. We had all hands on deck, like, things are gonna go, something has to go bad. Like, it it was a release that took seven hours. But nothing at the end went that bad, Like There were a couple of things that we needed to fix immediately, but after two or three hours after the release, we were in the clear. So yeah, if you're in a startup that doesn't have a defined business model or such, and they're expecting that they are gonna change their data model, business model, they're gonna change their requirements, I don't know if anybody works in a startup like that. Uh, but if you actually do work in a startup that's something like that, like use this story to sell this end-to-end testing story. Like use this, because I assure you, if we didn't have this tool in our tool chain, it would be impossible to <laughs> achieve what we achieved. Or it would be possible it would take a year and not two and a half months. So to finalize things. I'd like to show you a Clara demo, what it looks today. So this is, can you see? Okay. So this is how our run looks today. So this is a CI run. And as I mentioned, we run seven different workers in parallel. And we were able to run 439 tests in this one. The whole job lasted about eight minutes, if I'm not mistaken, eight minutes, 29 seconds. And there are a couple of things that I just want to show you like, for you to know. I mentioned artifacts. Oh. so internet's not working so I mentioned artifacts and when you click through those tabs and you can find uh, like different folders with different files that have our test runs uh, you can actually store your videos of your CI runs uh, like this and then when something fails you can actually inspect in this way you can see how the whole test ran itself and what the results were and this is our test for adding a patient so it's a pretty critical part of what we do. Uh, so we have in this file alone, I think, around 25 different uh, use cases. Uh, every time we needed to uh, change this page, just imagine if we needed to do like a regression test set manually, it would take forever. <laughs> like, so, what this gives us, the, uh, what Cypress gives us as an opportunity, and this whole setup, uh, it allows us uncomparable regression testing. So it's actually impossible to test so many things on a daily basis. And I say, we we deploy four times a week. Uh, We deploy around, I think there's, on average, five different uh, feature branches that go every day. So that's like 20 times we change production in a week. So just imagine that you need to actually regression test all of this. It would be impossible. So that's about it. Uh, If you wanna If this was good for you, go back to your companies and talk about end-to-end testing because it saved our lives and I hope that you were able to see a couple of mistakes that we did and I hope you won't do the same. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Until next time.